We are starting a four-part series today on miraculous births, and so we'll be looking for the next four weeks uh, at births in the Bible that are considered to be miraculous, and we'll be ending on Christmas Day with this series, uh, by the way, which is on a Sunday, and so uh, we'll be having our regular service on Christmas Day at 10 o'clock. 385,000 babies are born every day on earth. The majority of these births occur without any complications, but sometimes those involved call upon God for divine intervention. Perhaps it's discovered that the baby is breech, or maybe there's a problem with the baby that's going to cause harm to the mother, and so an extra dose of prayer goes up. In our case, an extra dose of prayer went up for two of our four children during the process of their births. Peter was uh, born almost a month early and had to spend 12 days in the ICU. And Cassie was born with the cord wrapped around her neck. Well, thankfully, everything turned out fine, and they went on to experience healthy childhoods. But even as frightening as those two births were for us, we would not describe those births as miraculous. We didn't try to conceive for years without success. We didn't have quintuplets. We weren't visited by the angel of the Lord. And beside the general miracle of birth itself, ours was pretty run-of-the-mill. There are numerous births recorded in the Bible that would would not be considered run-of-the-mill. Jacob and Esau battled within their mother, Rachel, who was distraught over what was happening. And the angel of the Lord told her that two nations were struggling inside of her. When Moses was born, the Pharaoh tried to kill him. And he was placed in a little uh, raft and sent down the Nile River. And uh, the daughter of Pharaoh saw him and brought him into the household of Pharaoh. Advent is a season of waiting. In fact, the word Advent means the arrival of a notable person. And so we're going to be looking at the arrival of four notable people over the next four weeks. And in each case, we are going to ask three questions. First, What was the miraculous uh, birth all about? Uh, How did they arrive? Why did they come? And what lesson can we learn for it in our lives today? And so first we're going to be looking at Samson's miraculous arrival. One of the common themes that we're going to see woven throughout the four miraculous accounts over the next four weeks is that these births could not have been possible if it weren't for divine intervention. The first three fall into the category of barrenness, or the inability to have children because of some biological problem. Today we call it infertility. Down through the ages, infertile women have been viewed as deserts, because in a desert no seed can take root. And because of the rise of employment among women in modern times, especially in the West, infertility is not seen as negatively as in other times or other regions in the world. The infertile woman may receive a litany of advice on how to conceive here in the United States. Have you tried in vitro? What about acupuncture? You just need to relax and it will happen. But generally speaking, she will live a fairly normal and productive life here in the West. But during biblical times, a barren woman experienced great shame and depression To marry and bear children was seen as the height of the feminine experience, 
and much of her worth was wrapped up in her fertility. Carrying on one's family line was important, and if a woman was unable to accomplish this, it could cause great disgrace to her and could lead to all kinds of marital and societal problems. During some historical periods, infertile women were even suspected of being witches and were burned at the stake. Manoah, a man from the uh, tribe of Dan, had a wife that was infertile. But God had selected the two of them for a miracle. There was nothing significant about either one of them as far as we can see from the biblical account. No history of leadership, no notable family line, no notable faith, no exceptional righteousness. And this shows us that when God selects someone to use for his purposes, it's not based on their individual character or strength. And so it's based on his sovereign will. The miracle begins, as it usually does, with a visit from an angel. And as often happens, the angel visits just the woman, who interestingly is not even named in the story. I find some of these encounters a bit humorous, though. The first thing the angel says to her is, Behold, you are barren and have not conceived any children. Oh, great, okay. Not only is my village mocking me because of my condition, it seems that all of heaven is aware of my condition as well. Thanks a lot. And then he goes on with a seemingly good news. But you will bear a son. Now, I say seemingly good news because... I have a feeling that uh, if she knew about all the pain and anguish that would accompany this blessing, then she would have probably taken a hard pass on having Samson. You see, being his mother turned out to be heartbreaking for many reasons that we'll get into a little bit later in this message. This teaches us that sometimes the Lord leads us through the shadow of death, and his blessings can even appear to be curses at some time. We will see this in the other three stories during the advent of uh, Samuel, John the Baptist, and Jesus. Samuel's mother had to give him up uh, as soon as he was weaned, gave him up to the temple to be raised by the priest there. John the Baptist's mother, if she was still alive at this time, would have had to watch her son being beheaded. And we all know that the grief uh, Mary experienced caused a sword to pierce her own soul. But for the moment here, Manoah's wife is elated and runs back to her husband with the news. And in typical fashion, he doubts the whole thing at first. He wants to talk to the angel himself. And so during that subsequent meeting, some rules were laid out about how Samson was supposed to be raised. No drinking, no funerals, no haircuts. That last one kind of bugs me as a barber. And so so they raised... Samson as a non-partying hippie, basically. A Nazarite. And we see the first description of a Nazarite back in number six. The word Nazarite means consecrated or set apart. When someone took a Nazarite vow, they were to follow strict rules, even more strict than the typical rules that were followed by the Jews in general. But it was unusual for a child to be a Nazarite because that was a vow that was voluntarily taken as an adult. And usually the Nazarite vow was only for a set period of time, not the entire life of the person. 
In fact, Paul, an apostle, uh, the apostle, was probably taking a Nazarite vow in Acts uh, 18 where he shaves his head. Only one other person in the Bible was a Nazarite from birth, and that was John the Baptist. But it seems as though Salmon, or, uh, Samson has some mixed feelings about this Nazarite vow. He kind of reminds me of that minister's kid who rebels against all the teachings of the church and runs from the Lord. But even in this, the Lord uses Samson for his own purposes, as we see here and, uh, and is addressed in our next question, which is, what was Samson's purpose? Although your life story may not be recorded in scripture or any form of media for that matter, God has a specific purpose for your life. Things that he has for you to fulfill. In fact, those things were designed for you even before you were born. Good works that you might walk in them. But for most of us, the plans that God has for our lives are cloaked in mystery. It's not until we get to heaven and look back on our lives that most of us will realize what those purposes and plans were. And for a select few, though, God reveals his plans even before they are born. Samson here is one such individual. The angel tells his mother, and he, Samson, will begin to save Israel from the hand of the Philistines. Ah, those nasty Philistines. What was their problem anyways? They're always messing with Israel. Why couldn't they be like Canada? A nice place to visit, but not a real threat, right? The history of the Philistines and Israel went back for centuries before the arrival of Samson. And according to genealogical records, the Philistines had migrated to the Middle East from Europe by the way of Crete, which is an island about 100 miles off the south coast of Greece. How they ended up in the vicinity of Israel is a mystery, but as at Israel's height of power, they were their gravest enemy. The Philistines had five major cities which they controlled, and each of these cities was ruled by a ruthless king. At one point, they stole the Ark of the Covenant, and they were known to have great warriors. Goliath was one of the greatest uh, notable warriors uh, in their history. For much of Israel's early history, the Philistines were also the primary tool that God used to chastise his people when they strayed away from him. At the time of Samson's birth, Israel had been under the thumb of the Philistines for 40 years. And Israel had done evil in the sight of the Lord, and so now they were suffering for it. But God's desire was never to destroy them. His desire was to discipline them so that they would return back to him. And when that time of discipline was coming to an end, he would raise up judges, tools that he would use in order to restore Israel. And so Samson was destined to be one of those heroes, albeit a little reluctantly. As Samson grew uh, up, we see in Judges 13, 24 through 25, it states that the Lord blessed him and the Spirit of the Lord began to stir him. Now I want you to pay special attention here to the way that the Lord stirred him because there's an important lesson for us to learn. One day Samson went down to Timnah, which is a city of Philistia, about a few miles, three miles from his hometown, Zorah. And so he had to cross the Philistia-Israeli border there, all right? And so 
it'd almost be like if you lived in San Diego, you're going down to Tijuana. And so he crosses that border, and there he sees a Philistine woman that catches his eye. And so he goes back to his parents and he says, get that woman for me. I want this Philistine woman for myself. And his parents are not happy. They ask, is there, there anybody among your own people that you can marry? And even though this conversation seems to go uh, directly against the command to honor father and mother, we see in the next verse that all of this was from the Lord because he was seeking an occasion against the Philistines. In other words, things were about to get messy. And messy they did get because the whole process of getting this woman turned into a major battle. Samson at first tells these men a riddle that they cannot solve. They get angry and they threaten his fiancée. If you don't tell us this riddle, we're going to kill your father and mother. We're going to burn your house to the ground. And so they get this information from his fiancée and they guess Samson's riddle. And Samson knows it's because of their meddling. They know, he knows that they got to his fiancée. And so now he owes them 30 sets of clothing, which was the price of the bet. So instead of going out and buying 30 sets of clothing, he goes down to the next village of the Philistines, kills 30 men, takes their clothes, and gives them to these guys as payment for the bet. And in the midst of all of this, suddenly his love for his fiancée has magically evaporated. And so what he, he does is he gives his new wife to his best man. Now things are getting really heated, and for the sake of time, I'm not going to go into all the details of what happened from that moment on, but it culminated in the story of Samson and Delilah. Many of you are familiar with that story. And so what are the impact lessons that we can learn for today as we consider this unusual story, this miraculous birth? As we consider this story and the uh, purposes of Samson's life, uh, I think there are a few lessons that we can see here. Lesson number one, we can learn that when things seem to be going badly, God is behind the scenes working. The people of Israel had experienced four years of oppression by the enemy, the Philistines. But God was preparing a man to deliver them. And there might be times in your life where you feel beaten down. Perhaps you feel like the devil's got you. He's oppressing you and you're struggling. You fail to find any hope in the circumstances that you're in. Perhaps you have a health issue right now that has you down. Perhaps it's affected your job, your bank account, your relationships, so much that you wonder if it will ever end. But I want you to know this morning that God is working behind the scenes. He will not forsake you. God knows your situation. The second lesson we can learn here this morning is that God's blessings can sometimes feel more like a curse. I was talking to Larry Johnson a little while back, and he gave me uh, permission to share this story. Uh, but we were discussing his adoptive children and some of the ones that he fostered. And many of those today have gone off the path of the Lord. They've experienced great trials and troubles. And so much so that both Larry and Carol have experienced some heartache over some of the decisions that they've made. And if you look back in retrospect, somebody in the world might want to say, well, you probably shouldn't adopt then. 
You probably shouldn't take on foster children because of the potential of all these things that could happen. All the things that, in fact, even children alone, the more children you decide to have, the more potential there is for hurt in your life, for pain, for things to go wrong, for them to go off the track, whatever it might be. However, I'm sure Samson's parents here wondered at the time if remaining barren might have been better. But all along, God was using Samson for his own purposes. And remember that God is still sovereign. Just because your child is off doing whatever doesn't mean they are out of the sight of the Lord. Think of the prodigal son. God was still there. God was still waiting for that prodigal son to return. And God will use everything in this life for his own purposes. The third lesson we see here is that for all of Samson's flaws, he was still counted among the faithful. In fact, Samson is mentioned in Hebrews chapter 11, the hall of faith. And as you consider all of your own shortcomings, remember that the most important thing in your life is not how well you perform as a Christian. The most important thing in your life is faith. Faith is believing in something outside of yourself that you can't see or maybe you haven't seen yet. That's the most important thing, and that's what differentiated Samson from the Philistines, where he placed his faith. They were placing their faith in their god, Dagon, who was basically a demon. We are placing our faith in the God of Israel, and that's who Samson placed his faith in, in the God of the universe. In the end, we see Samson doesn't look like his life has turned out very well. They take him prisoner. They gouge his eyes out. They tie him to a grinding stone. And so basically his existence is wake up every morning blind, get tied to this big wheel and grind out grain for the rest of his life. And his parents were probably heartbroken, distraught. He was probably depressed and wondered what happened with his life. I thought God was going to use him to deliver Israel. And yet in the end, he's standing in uh, this big party. They have this party, all the Philistine rulers and kings, and they come together. And in those days, there were two different tiers many times with pillars. And everybody was partying up on the, on the roof of this house. And they bring out Samson to mock him. And he prays, God, give me one more chance. And he puts one arm on this pillar and one arm on this pillar and the spirit of the Lord comes upon him, his strength returns and he pushes those two pillars and the entire house comes uh, crashing down and ends up killing all these Philistines, kills him as well. Might seem like a tragic end, but in that moment we recognize that Samson stood before the Lord. And you too at the end of your life, you might be toward the end of your life you might be looking back and remembering all the things that you've done, ways that you've fallen short, sins that you've committed, opportunities that you didn't take. But remember that the Lord is right there with you. And the most important thing is who you place your trust in. Are you trusting in Jesus or are you trusting in your own performance? In the situation of Samson, we see that he trusted in the Lord. And the Lord delivered him.
Let's pray. Father God, as we are in this Advent season, we are waiting for your return. And in the meantime, you have us on this earth. Many of us don't know what our purpose is, what we're supposed to be doing, and yet you're working behind the scenes. Lord, help us to place our trust in you, our faith in you, not in our own uh, deeds and our own strength. And so, Lord, we just lift up these things today in Jesus' name. Amen. Thank you for tuning in to this sermon series from Elam. If you are encouraged today, would you consider supporting our online ministry through a financial contribution? Personal checks can be made out to Elam Lutheran Church and sent to 11504 26th Street, Northeast, Lake Stevens, Washington, 98258. Or you can give online at elamlutheran.net. Thank you and may God bless you the rest of your day.